Uh, There are two questions that I believe every person needs to wrestle with in their life. Those questions are, who am I and who is God? Those two questions, I'm convinced that everyone on this planet, whether you're religious or not, I believe that everyone's asking these two questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? What am I here for? And who is God? Where, where did all this come from? And is there any meaning to it? And who is the author of it all? Who am I and who is God? Those are the two great questions of humanity. This is what every philosopher from Aristotle onward, from Confucius to Nietzsche, this is what every, this is what, this is the questions of humanity. Who am I and who is God? And these two questions, we all ask them at some point in our lives, but I think that people tend to ask these questions most seriously when life is difficult, when our backs are against the rope, when we are dissatisfied with how our lives are going, when we're dissatisfied with the status quo, when we're dissatisfied with sort of all that's going on in our lives and we're, go- and we're worried about how our lives are going, that is when that voice in our head says, who am I? And who is God? And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, hey, what is God's purpose for my life? Like, what, what am I doing here? Or maybe you're wondering, do you even bring any value to this world? Do I bring any value to this world? These are questions that we all ask, and the questions you must wrestle with are, who am I and who is God? John Calvin says that all the wisdom we possess in this world consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Who am I and who is God? And these are the very questions that Moses wrestles with in our text this morning. These are the questions that we all face, and the question also that we have to ask is, do we have the courage to pay attention to the answers? Because it takes courage to answer those questions. And to hear the answer to those questions. And can those answers to these questions, who am I, who is God? The answer to those questions, can those help our lives in any meaningful way? Those are the questions we want to wrestle with this morning. And I want you to look in our text, chapter 2, starting in verse 23. This is sort of the shift in the narrative of Exodus. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, died. And the people of Israel who had been in slavery for generations, they groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, Moses was keeping keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is also Sinai, another name for it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see what this great sight, to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. Now the story, I'm going to stop there. The story picks up, Moses is in the wilderness. He's in a wilderness season where he's lost everything in his life. And he's in the wilderness because of his own failure, his own struggle, 
and he's in the wilderness, and it says he goes to the west side of the wilderness, which is another word for saying he went even deeper into the wilderness, the far side of the wilderness. And for Moses, it was in this wilderness season where God spoke to him through a burning bush. And we can stop there and we can go, okay, God speaks to Moses in a burning bush. And you're like, I want God to speak to me, but I've never seen a burning bush. I think you have. I think you have. You see, Moses, it's not, this is not merely, this is not only a story about a supernatural bush being burned and not being consumed. It's about God speaking to Moses, and I believe that God speaks to us in the same ways. Moses, he wasn't surprised that the bush was burning. You know why he was surprised? He was surprised because the bush wasn't being burned up. Moses had seen bushes burn before. But what he had never seen was a bush not be burned up. When a bush is on fire, usually it engulfs the whole thing, and then it it goes out. But Moses is like, this thing, it's like an eternal flame. It's like not stopping. That is what Moses noticed. He, what Moses expected to happen didn't happen. So this isn't an, it's not that a bush was burning. It's that what Moses was expecting wasn't happening. And we all have burning bush moments in our lives where when we expect one thing to happen a certain way and it doesn't happen that way. We go through life and we, and we think, if, if I do this or if this happens, then this will happen. If the bush catches on fire, the bush will burn up. Moses sees a bush, it's not burning up. Something There's an unmet expectation. We all have burning bush moments in our lives, un, unmet expectations. It might be this, I thought I'd be married by now. That's a burning bush. That's an unmet expectation. I thought I would be content by now. That's a burning bush. I thought success would be more fulfilling than this. I thought financial security would feel more secure than this. I thought this relationship would end my loneliness. I thought A plus B would equal C, but my life seems to be A plus A plus A minus A plus A and still A. When you thought your life would lead to one thing, but it didn't, and your expectations are unmet, that's a burning bush. That is when God speaks to us. It is in the moments of unmet expectations where God can cut through the noise of our lives and the distractions and speak to us. But we have to have the courage to pay attention. You know, sometimes... We get these little existential, like, angsty questions in our mind where you're like, I I feel like life was supposed to be different than this, or I was supposed to feel different at 35. And you don't, and those are the moments where your heart is softening enough to hear what God's saying to you. But we, when we hit those moments, you can either listen to that voice speaking to you, or you can harden your heart and just turn up the noise. See, we must pay attention. Uh, Moses, it says, he saw the burning bush, and it doesn't say he kept walking. And it doesn't say he pulled out his phone to, you know, distract him. It says he saw the burning bush, and he turned aside. He stopped what he was doing, and he walked toward the burning bush. That takes courage, doesn't it? It takes courage to stop and to pay attention to walk toward your unmet expectations and to address them 
and to look them in the face. And listen, we live in an age where it has never been easier to ignore our disappointments and our expectations. We live today in what is called the attention economy. You know what the most valuable thing that you offer is not your dollars. The most valuable thing that you offer this economy that we live in today is your attention. This is why Facebook and Instagram and Fortnite and Netflix are so valuable because they command our attention. This is why there are things like infinite scroll, constant notifications, ding, ding, ding. If we are ever bored, if we're ever sad or scared or unfulfilled, we have devices and apps that promise to keep us distracted from dealing with our unmet expectations, with dealing of the questions of who am I and who is God. Not to mention, we also use vices to numb ourselves from our disappointments and our unmet expectations. Pornography, alcohol, drugs, overeating. See, it has never been more easy than it is today to ignore the burning bushes in our lives, the unmet expectations, the disappointments. Because we ignore burning bushes, and because we ignore these burning bushes, we are unable sometimes to hear God speaking to us. When you feel angst in your soul, when you feel an emptiness in your gut, that is, that is where God wants to speak to you. When you feel like an existential longing for something more, when, you want to, when your heart is asking the question, who am I and who is God? You want, that is God wanting to speak to you. Do not numb yourself. Do not turn away from that voice. But turn aside and walk toward the burning bush. See, God uses seasons of unmet expectations to call us to himself. But will you have the courage to stop what you're doing, turn aside, and look? Stopping, stopping, turning aside, and listening. Do not walk past your burning bush. Do not go about your business as you always have. Stop medicating, distracting, and numbing yourself from the questions that are plaguing you. And it's when we turn aside that we can hear God's voice calling out our name. And look at what happens when Moses turns aside and walks toward the bush. It says, when the Lord, verse 4, the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. When God is speaking to us, that is holy ground. Don't don't numb yourself when God is speaking to you. Listen, it's holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, this is his call to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. 
bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh and bring, your, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God loved God's answer. God says, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you. It's almost like he didn't even hear him. It's like, Who am I? But I, oh, one more thing. I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's first, the first question Moses, is, Moses asks is, who am I? God speaks to Moses, tells him exactly what he's going to do. Moses, I'm going to deliver your people. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. I will end their suffering because I heard their prayers. And I will bring them into a new land that is flowing with milk and honey. Go, Pharaoh. I'm send, or go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now that should be enough, shouldn't it? How many of you have been like, if God would just speak out and tell me what to do, I would do it? Well, there's a long laundry list of people in the Bible who heard God speak to them plainly, and they're still like, I still need some more information. Don't be so arrogant. <laughs> if I just heard God's voice, Moses hears God's voice, well, you'd think that'd be enough. I'm going to do it, Moses. And Moses is like, yeah, but who am I? Who am I? I can't do this. I already tried to do this back, back when I was in Egypt. I already tried and I failed. Who, why me? Who am I? And this is the point where our American minds expect God to go like full hype man on Moses, right? You, Moses is like, who am I, God? Because it sounds so humble. And you expect God here to be like, Moses, you just got to believe in yourself, bro. You are the man. I have been preparing you for this your whole life. This is your moment. This is your destiny. Step into your calling with confidence. Don't let anyone stop you. Believe in yourself. Is that what God says? God sa or Moses says, who am I? And God says, but I'll be with you. And you're like, that's not an answer. But that is precisely what Moses needed to hear. And even though it's going to take him quite a while for that to register. I mean, over the next several chapters, Moses is going to ask five more times. Who am I, God? Who am I? Why me? Why me? Why me? And many of us, here's, here's, here's where I want to get down to our level. Many of us think that what we need in this life to succeed is constant encouragement. We just need somebody. We need positive people around us to speak speak positivity into our lives. We need, to, we need people to tell us that we're strong enough. We need to find the verse that says we're awesome. We, what we think we need is constant encouragement that we're strong enough, that we're good enough, and that we have it within ourselves to accomplish every great thing in this world. If you listen to all the popular advice in our culture today, from Dr. Phil to Taylor Swift, from the songs we sing to the movies we watch, the message is, You've got it within yourself. You're awesome. Now go and conquer the world. Believe in yourself. The most ironic example of this is the Whitney Houston Mariah Carey song, When You Believe. I would sing it, but that's a register I'm not getting to. You guys remember that song, When You Believe? Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe you will. You will when you believe. And you're like, Mm. <laughs> yes, 
You know what the irony of that, that is, that song? That was the theme song for a movie about Moses. It was the theme song for the Prince of Egypt, a movie about the Exodus. When the point of Exodus is not what Moses is capable of. It's that God is with him. See, listen, I'm all for encouragement. And I am all for knowing your skills and your value and what you bring to the table. And I'm all for having self-awareness. I'm all about those things. But I think the believe-in-yourself culture that we live in often leads us to far greater despair than it actually does joy. Because if you live long enough, you will face moments in your life where you don't have it within yourself. And to believe that you do is deception of the worst kind. And it will set you up for the worst kind of despair. Because if all you're ever told in your life is that you've got it within yourself, believe in yourself, you can do it, who is there to blame when you can't except for yourself? See, that's crushing. That is a crushing way, and it sounds great in songs and in movies, but it is a terrible worldview to live by because you will face moments in this life where you don't have what it takes. You will. And in those times, there are far better and more encouraging words than you can do it. Those words are, I will be with you. Listen, as many of you know, my oldest son has cerebral palsy among many other developmental disabilities. And uh, sweetest, silliest boy you'll ever meet. He loves music. He loves trains. He loves his sisters. And I love that little boy with all of my heart. Like, all of my heart. You know, parents, like, I, every day I just, like, scroll through my pictures on my phone and just, like, I just love that beautiful boy. But it is hard raising a kid with development, developmental disabilities. It is hard. It's really hard. And if you, and I'm a textbook type A person. Anybody, my wife would tell you this, my staff would tell you this. I'm as type A as it gets. So anytime a new challenge arises in my life, you know what I do? I go straight to Google and figure out how can I fix it. And if you looked at my browser history over the last eight years, here's what you'd find. How do I get an autistic child to sleep? How do I get my child to stop screaming? How, what diets help stop seizures? How to train a four-year-old with cerebral palsy how to walk? How to stop a child from hitting? Sometimes, on my worst days, I look even further down the road and I Google things like, how do I care for a special needs adult child? I think, I'm like, this is going to get even harder. It's not going to get easier. Or how do I save for retirement so that my special needs child is cared for after I die? Those are the questions that I'm Googling. And I, I live with constant anxiety. Constant. And listen, if somebody were to come up to me and say, Will, you got this, bro. You can do it. Believe in yourself. That is no encouragement to me. None. It actually hurts. Because time after time after time after time after time in my life, I have come to the end of myself where I don't have it within me, myself to do it. 
It will say, God chose you to be his child because you've got it within you. See, we cover it in God language. I'm like, no, I don't have it within me. You don't understand. Believe in yourself offers me no encouragement. But when I read these words of God from the burning bush, I will be with you. When I read the words of God to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, will you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. Why? Because you're awesome? No, because I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And when I read Jesus, and we read it together as a church every week, when I hear Jesus say, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When I hear those promises, confidence starts to well up within me. I can stand up straight and I can step into the next day that God has called me to walk in. And I can be the dad that I need to be, not because I am that guy, but because God is with me. And there are many of you today that are in tough situations and God has called you to to tough situations and you feel ill-prepared, you feel unqualified. Some of you, it's not even difficult things that lie before you. It's not even some, it's a good thing, but it's challenging. A new responsibility at work or at home. You're staring down these new challenges and you're thinking, who am I? I can't do, I just got this promotion. Don't they know? Like, I, how am I going to lead these people? How, I can't do this. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know what you're capable of? Don't look within yourself. Because that's a, that's a tank that will run empty. Look to who is with you. Look at who your God is. In the story of Exodus, you know, it really doesn't matter who Moses is, does it? I mean, it, Moses lifts his staff and God does all the work, right? It could have been anyone. But it was God's grace in Moses' life that Moses was chosen for the calling that God had for him. The story of the Exodus is not about Moses. It's a story about God. But if you're going to have confidence, going, God is with me, I can walk into this. If you're going to have confidence to step into that, you've got to know at least who your God is, right? Who am I? I'm with you. Well, okay, but, but who are you? And that's what Moses asked. He said to God, he said, look, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, if I, if I do it, not saying I will, but if I do, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And you're like, just answer the question. <laughs> and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. That's my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So who is God? Moses is like, okay, God, you'll be with me. Great. So I'm not saying I will, but if I do, what am I going to say to people? What's your name? What do I tell people? Like, and that's a fair question, isn't it? 
Like if God's calling you to something difficult or challenging or hard, it's a fair question to go, and if God's promised you, hey, I'm going to be with you, it's a fair question to go, well, if I'm going to trust you, God, I need to know who you are. And this is true for me and for you. If we are going to trust God with our lives through all the challenges and the triumphs, we need to know who he is. This is why we do theology. This is why I teach every week for 30 minutes. This is why 30, eh, it's not 30, 35, 40. This is why we have growth groups. This is why we have alpha students that started this week. This is why we have Bible studies, because we want to know God. Now, why do we want to know God? So that we can be, have know a bunch of stuff and be prideful and arrogant with all the stuff we know? No, we want to know God so that we can have faith in God. The more that we know God, the more that we have faith in Him, the more that we trust Him with our lives, and the more that we can step into the calling that He's placed before us. God responds to Moses. He says, who, what are you like? What's your name? And he says, I am who I am. Or he's, in other uh, translations, he says, I will be who I will be. And that's confusing for sure, isn't it? It seems to raise more questions than it does answers. And I'm sure that Moses spent the remainder of his life trying to figure out exactly what that meant. But for God to say, I am, and just leave it at that, that implies at least one thing. It implies that God is mysterious, doesn't it? Not that God is unknowable. I don't mean God is mysterious in the fact that we, we can't know anything about God. Because he says, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You want to know what I'm like? Go look at what I was like to your fathers. God is knowable, but God is also mysterious, meaning that our minds cannot fully comprehend who he is. What that means is that we can never exhaust our knowledge of who he is. That's why we never stop praying. That's why we never stop reading the scriptures. That's why we never stop gathering with the people of God because there's always more of God to know and to appreciate and to cherish. All throughout my life, I'll be like, man, I, under, I think I understand God's grace. I got it. And then I sin again and I experience, I'm like, oh, I'm so much more than I thought. You know, like with your kids, like parents, you're like, I love this child. I could not love this child more than I do right now. And then they, like the next day, they do something cute, and you're like, ah, I do love them more. God's love is infinite, far more infinite than ours. We think, oh, I'm exper- I experience God. There's always more to exp- We can never exhaust the depths of God's grace, of his mercy, of who he is. You can walk a lifetime, an eternity with God, and you will never plumb the depths of who he is. He's mysterious. And Moses will soon find out just how mysterious he is. He's capable of far more than Moses ever thought or imagined. I am also implies that God is unchangeable. And he's unchanging. And he's eternal. I love that he says, I am. Remember, Jesus quotes this later on and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he even, God even says here, this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What's happening here is God is saying, I've always been, I am, and I always will be. And who I have been, I will be. And this is true for you and me this morning. Do you want to know who God is? You want to know if you can trust him? Who has he been? That's who he's going to be in the future. Who has he been in the past? That's who he is now. And that's who he will be in the future. In the same God 
that delivered the Israelites from bondage and led them through the wilderness into the promised land is the same God that will pull you out of your bondage and walk with you to deliverance and will, call, and will walk with you through whatever He's calling you to do. He was faithful then and He will be faithful tomorrow. That God's name is I Am also means that He is self-sufficient. Believe in yourself. That's inadequate for you and me. You've got it all within yourself. That's inadequate for you and me. But for God, it is all within Himself. See, I've tried to argue that the common cultural advice of look inside yourself is not always helpful when speaking of us. Because we're flawed and we don't have all the answers. And we're, we're, we have blind spots. And we don't have all the power. We need other people outside of us to help us along in life. But God does not. All knowledge exists in God. All truth is found in Him. He is the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. He alone created the world. He alone delivers His people out of bondage. He alone sends plagues to Egypt and He alone would part the Red Sea. He is self-sufficient within Himself. Do you want to know that you can trust God? Everything that He needs for your deliverance is found within Him. If He's with you, you've got it all. He's mysterious, He's eternal, He's self-sufficient. And there is really, there's a word that captures all of that, and that word is that He's holy. See, to be holy is to be completely separate. It's to be utterly unique. God's holiness means that He is greater than us infinitely and in every possible category. This is why God asked Moses to take off his shoes. It's not because the ground was holy. The ground wasn't holy because the dirt was special. That that little plot of land was something unique. The ground was holy because God was there. And Moses, it says, when, he's, when he walked toward the bush, he hid his face. Why? Because he was in the presence of something infinitely greater than him. He was in the presence of something far greater than him that he felt that he had to cower, take off his shoes and cover his face so that he would not be completely overwhelmed by that which is infinitely greater than him. It's also telling about God's complete otherness, his holiness, that he reveals himself to Moses as a fire. It's a burning bush. I mean, isn't that an interesting way for God to reveal himself? And it's not, the first, it's not the last time that God's going to do it throughout the Scriptures either. It's not the first or the last. God's going to reveal Himself as fire all throughout the Bible. And we're fascinated with fire, aren't we? Fire's a weird thing. There's something fascinating. There's something both inviting and calming about fire. But there's also something terrifying about it at the same time, isn't there? That's how God is. God is both inviting, He's welcoming He's calming. We're drawn to Him. But at the same time, He's terrifying. You don't play with fire. You don't trifle with fire. You revere God for He is a consuming fire. And you know who's about to find out what a consuming fire He is? Pharaoh. And God is revealing to Moses that He is a consuming fire. That is the name that Moses would later attribute to God. He is, in a, he is a consuming fire. And a consuming fire can overwhelm entire cities and can defeat entire armies. But it can also warm a person who is naked and cold. And when you combine these two things, that God is a consuming fire 
and I and He is who He is, I, I am who I am, you begin to see a glimpse into the power of God. This is a holy God who is capable of far more than we realize. And Moses wanted to know if he could trust this God. Could God come through on his promises? Could God really defeat the Egyptians? And it appears, yes, God could do whatever he wants to do. He, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he can defeat the Egyptians. But the question, if you're an astute reader, you might read this and you go, okay, God is powerful. God's all-powerful. I get that. I believe that. But does God care enough about me to use his power for my good? I know that God is powerful, but does he care enough about me to fight on my behalf? And the answer is yes. We see in this passage that not only is God holy, but he's compassionate. When he calls to Moses, he doesn't say, hey, Moses. You know what he says? Moses, Moses. And all throughout the scriptures, when a name is repeated, that signifies intimacy. Typically between a father and a child. When David's son died, David, he said, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. It's a sign of intimacy and fatherly love. And this is a sign of intimacy where God calls out to Moses like a son. But then also when he speaks to Moses, he says, I have seen the afflictions of my people. I don't know if you remember when I first read the scripture, there was a chunk from chapter 2 that I read that I didn't say anything about. I'm gonna, well, let's re- revisit that. In, verse 20, in chapter 2, verse 23, there was a prayer. It says that during the days of the king of Egypt that he died, the people of Israel in their slavery, they groaned and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And listen, they've been praying. They've been in slavery for generations, and they prayed. It says, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Israel has been in slavery, we know, at least for 80 years at this point. At least. And that seems, that's multiple generations. That seems like an eternity. Where it felt like to them that God was absent. And you... that he wasn't there. And you imagine they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And they're like, God, do you even hear us? Do you see us down here? Do you know what we're going through? Many of you have had that prayer before. God, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And God, it says that all the while while they were praying, praying that prayer and they were groaning, God heard them. He remembered them. He saw them. And it says he knew. He knew the pain they were going through. And he knows the pain you feel. He knows the struggle you're walking in. And rest assured, he is not hiding. He hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. And what I love is in chapter 3 when God is speaking to Moses, God actually speaks the people of Israel's prayer back to Moses. Verse 7, he says, And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And then he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've seen, I've heard, and I know. But God changes the wording a little bit. Instead of saying, I remembered my covenant, he tells Moses, I have now come down to deliver them. You see, God is not some distant, powerful being that's off in the distance, who's impersonal and indifferent towards our struggles and our sufferings. He sees, he hears, he knows, 
but he doesn't stop there. He comes down. God came down to Egypt and delivered his people from slavery, but God has done it for you and for me in Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And you may be here this morning and you're trying to save yourself. You're trying to find fulfillment and joy through your own strength. And I'm here to tell you, you'll never find it within yourself. Who are you? Who am I? You are a sinner who not only is undeserving of God's grace, but you're incapable of making yourself righteous before God. That's who you are. But who is God? God is the one who sends His own Son to die in your place, to play the penalty of your sin so that you could have eternal life with Him. Who am I? I'm nothing. But who is God? He's everything. And He's done everything in His power to save me. And as Moses would learn during the Exodus, who he was bore no impact on the outcome of his situation. And you can try and try, but you will find the same to be true. For Moses, it was God's presence that made all the difference. And that's true for you and me as well. What we cannot do, Christ has done and is doing for us. He has saved us from our sin, forgiven us for those who receive his death on the cross. And for those of us in situations facing challenges where we don't know if we have the strength to go on, we know that he is the one sustaining us. And you're like, okay, well, he's with me. How do I know that he can overcome this thing that I'm facing? He overcame his own death. He can overcome cerebral palsy. He can overcome financial debt. He can overcome cancer. He can overcome divorce. He can overcome depression. He overcame his own death. Whatever you're carrying with you, and you need him to bear that burden with you, whatever it is you're carrying, He can do it. That's who He is. He's not off watching from a distance asking us to figure it out. He has come down to walk with us and to deliver us. And He has come down to carry our burdens, bear our cross, and lead us to victory in the resurrection. That is the hope of the gospel. The hope for the people of Israel is that a deliverer would come and walk them out of their slavery into freedom. And that's the same hope that you and I have. Is that someone would come down and that they would look into our bondage to our own selves and they would deliver us from that bondage. But not only that, that they would walk us and guide us and lead us into abundant life. And that is the very promise of the gospel. Let's pray.